Hey guys, Otaku Nate here. What you're about to hear is basically where the podcast began. You see, I actually co-host another podcast called The Hardcore Podcast with my friend Brandon, where we talk about robot combat shows like Robot Wars, BattleBots, and everything in between. One of the guests that we had on was fellow ro- one of the guests we had on was fellow Roboteer and host of the ESC podcast, Rara Granger. And immediately, she was one of the most entertaining guests that we had on, and a fellow anime fan to boot. And we went back and forth with each other on Facebook for a bit before deciding, hey, why don't we do an episode together where we talk anime? And so, what you're about to hear is the bonus episode for the Hardcore Podcast where Rara and I talk anime, our viewpoints, and list off some of our favorite shows to boot. However, this version of the show contains an all-new segment that is over an hour long where Rara and I talked about our favorite anime openings and endings. And so, without further ado, I give you the episode that started it all. My conversation about anime with Rara Granger. Hope you enjoy it. Anime fans, uh, this is Otaku Nate here, all by my lonesome. If you are listening to this expecting me to talk about robot combat, you are most unfortunately going to be disappointed, because we are instead going to be talking about the other best sport out there, anime. And with me today, you might have seen her from BuggleBots as part of Splody Boy, and we'll hopefully be seeing her on BattleBots this year as part of Nelly the Ellie Bot. Please welcome Rara Granger. What up, it me? Yes, it is. Yeah, this is our second time doing this because I forgot to hit record. We didn't get too far, though. That's the good news, but... We we got so far. He's lying. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. So, uh, the way that this is going to work is we're just going to just chat about our experiences in anime. And I've devised a series of questions that both Rara and I are going to answer. And we're going to share our experiences as fans. We've both had very different experiences with anime as a whole, so it's going to be really interesting to see that sort of um, divide and see how close some of our answers are or difficult some of our answers are. So yeah, now we're going to start with the questions that we asked during our first take, which is now lost to time. How long have you been an anime fan and what was sort of your gateway? So I started watching anime because I was uh, told about it when I started voice acting in about 2009, 2010. Uh, I'd already been a um, JRPG fan uh, playing the Shin Megami Tensei series of games, the Persona series of games, Um, but I'd never really watched anime. Um, I started voice acting. Someone told me, hey, voice act for this anime. And I was like, oh, hey, anime is a thing. Now, I've, I've kind of got two gateway drugs, maybe three, depending on what the what the definition is. Well, like, what was, so, the, what was, like, the first thing you watched that you sort of, like, what was the first thing you remember watching? The first thing I remember watching is the absolute cursed anime that is uh, Persona Trinity Soul. Oh. 
if you have any respect for yourself as a persona fan don't watch it i i implore you do not watch it i have not... it's so bad it's non-canon <laughs> i have not seen it but all I have to say is, if you only have one character from the game returning as a character, you know you're in trouble. Especially you when you don't- You have two, but they show up in the background. Or, you know, when you can't even have Shoji Meguro doing your soundtrack. That was painful. Not a single moment of Lotus Juice. <laughs> that you do get, uh, you do get memories of you in a minor key. Oh, yay? Question mark? Um, it's exactly what I signed up for this for. Yeah. It has about as much to do with Persona 3 as Persona 3 has to do with Persona 1 and 2. <laughs> hey, they reference a character once in a scene that you can skip. <laughs> um, my first my first anime I really enjoyed, though, would have to be... I can't quite remember which came first. It would have either been uh, The Idolmaster... Or um, Cowboy Beef Bowl. Uh, that delicious chili <laughs> dish. <laughs> cowboy Beef Bowl. Yeah, Cowboy Bebop is, of course, a classic. Many people say that it was their first gateway drug into anime because it aired on Adult Swim. I didn't see it until I was in college at that point, but I can say it deserves every bit of praise that it gets. Even it if just... It it covers everything it's got action it's got intrigue it's got adventure it's got characters that you genuinely want to know more about and then find out more about and sure there are moments which you know somewhat fall flat or you know beg more questions that never get answered but you know all good writing does that surely you know you want to leave your audience asking questions and they did that fantastically mm-hmm Indeed they did, and Shinichiro Watanabe has knocked it out of the park every time ever since. Except, of course, for Terror and Resonance, but we like to pretend that never happened. <laughs> it, it, it's not awful, it's just not as good as his other shows. It's, it's, if you forget it's made by him, then it's really enjoyable. <laughs> Have you seen his latest, uh, Carol and Tuesday? I haven't yet, no. It's on my big old list of things to watch, but I... no, I have not yet watched it. I watched the first part of it. It's really good. Not I will definitely have to give it a watch at some point, man. Right. So no complaints about that. Um, My experience as an anime fan, or at least rather knowing what anime was, began all the way back in the second grade. Because my, oh, damn. My mom would drop me off at a friend's house because she taught ballet classes after school. And she would usually leave me at her friend's house, and I would, you know, just hang around play the old uh, Richard Scary games on their PC, play their NES Nintendo Entertainment System, where the only game I knew how to play was Super Mario Brothers, but I would sit on their couch and watch Nickelodeon, and then one day I was sitting on their couch in the living room, and I'm seeing this show where, you know, like, this monster is terrorizing an innocent civilian, and these girls in these super-powered school uniforms are fighting them, and I'm going, uh, huh. is, it, is it what I think it is? Huh. In What's... the name of the moon! <laughs> I'm. Let me get there. Huh. <laughs> What's this show right here? Because it's not Ren and Stimpy. It's not anything I've ever seen from Nickelodeon. This is something I've never seen before. And it turns out the show in question was Sailor Moon. What and... a gateway drug. And oh, damn. Every day after school at 4pm on the Toonami block on Cartoon Network... 
I would go and watch it religiously, and I was so mad as a kid whenever I had to miss an episode and I forgot to set the VHS tape for it. It's it's such a good anime. It still holds up today. It's it's so enjoyable. There's so much depth to it. And honestly, like if if people haven't watched Sailor Moon out there, don't don't see it as like an entry tier anime. Like genuinely treat yourself. Go out there and watch it. You will not be disappointed. And I got made fun of it as a kid because no! all my peers were watching stuff like Dragon Ball Z and Gundam Wing. And I'll just say this now: I was a sheltered child. My parents would not let me watch anything that was rated above uh, PG, even cartoon violence. Like, they were fine with me watching stuff in, like, Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry and those god-awful Hanna-Barbera cartoons that only boomers seem to enjoy. <laughs> too fucking true. But I didn't like Dragon Ball Z because it, I thought as a kid it was too violent. If you want to know how sheltered I was, my parents wouldn't even let me watch The Simpsons. Oh, Damn. I mean, I, I I have a lot of love for DBZ. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. But you... it was sort of... It wasn't exactly like I would seek out and watch it. It just sort of constantly happened. Like, would... oh, DBZ is on. I suppose I'll watch DBZ. <laughs> and especially when you end up watching all the um, uh, shows out of order. So we had um, Cartoon Network stuff over in the UK as well. And I remember quite often watching... Yeah, here's, here's some animes that I got to watch as a kid as well. You know, things like Yu-Gi-Oh! And the <laughs> Pokemon anime. You know, I, I suppose that the Pokemon anime is probably actually the first anime I really watched. But I, I would, say would, that you consider, would you consider it an anime? That's the question, because I, it long, is. But As long as it was made in Japan, that's what I consider it. I do not consider the likes of, say ruby or avatar the last airbender or the netflix castlevania series to be anime because they were not animated in japan all the production work was done in america yeah, absolutely and the animation was done in places like south korea some japanese studios worked on it i understand but if it's done in america it doesn't count and yes i know that anime is a style and not a genre but mm. still, point still stands. Say, saying anime comes from um, Japan isn't an issue, though, because, you know, things like Ruby and Genlock um, that are very, very much, you know, anything made by Rooster Teeth, it doesn't detract from what they are by yeah. saying it's not an anime. It's just saying that, you know, um, I can't remember what I saw it. There was a really fantastic term for it a while back. Co-production? Um, um no there was a term for it as like a like american anime you can call this and i can't remember the name of it at all or at least anime made in the west like you know wakfu which was made in france oh god wakfu mm -hmm. oh god wakfu oh no so many memories flooding back <laughs> i just brought that up i haven't seen wakfu i just know about it it's certainly interesting i have opinions <laughs> I, I won't press you any further on that matter. We have other questions to get to. Exactly. So yeah, Sailor Moon was my entry drug. What got me watching was also on Cartoon Network when Adult Swim had their lineup. And I also got TiVo. Meaning that once I was in middle school and I was 13, that means I could watch stuff that had more violence in it. Yay! Yay! Violence! So, the first anime that I remember watching 
that I could say was mature on a regular basis was Inuyasha on Adult Swim. Oh no. <laughs> oh yeah, no. It, 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 it's one of those entry drugs that does not hold up all that well on repeated viewings. Mm. I uh, I have a I have a close friend who uh Inuyasha. Um, all you have no to do way. all you have to do to piss my friend off is mention Inuyasha. Oh. <laughs> and there is Usually a small tirade of why the fuck is anyone bringing up Inuyasha? That's a piece <laughs> of shit. It's not the worst thing ever. No, I... We'll get, I, to, we'll get to our pick, picks for the worst later. I'm so glad you put that in as a question. I have I have some animes I may need to discuss. <laughs> same. Same. But yeah... Inuyasha, what is our next question? After Inuyasha, I started watching other stuff on Adult Swim, like Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, uh, Trigun... Ah, oh, Trigon. Trigon. So good. And, of course, Evangelion, which I haven't watched the Netflix version yet. Don't. I'm, Don't. I'm not a purist. I. It's just, from what I understand, it seemed like a lot of the faults in the adaptation can be pinned on Kara and not necessarily Netflix. I feel that the issues with the Evangelion Netflix redo was the fact that they took out so much that was so important to the context. Um... Well, the, the actual dubbing itself was fine, and the fact that I can now watch Evangelion at the click of a button on my TV is great, but the problem they had with it is eliminating some of the subtext from, you know, the subtitles. Kara said they wanted a more faithful translation, and apparently they provided the subtitles. Netflix had nothing to do with it. I have a feeling that some of those subtitles may have changed over time something something the gay relationship something well, something apparently though the i like you shinji line was closer to the original japanese from what the people tell me but again i'm not the expert on this matter but let's move on the the anime though that really got me to take the next step though was when my parents got netflix back when it was a mail-in service and oh the first, wow the first two things i rented were interstellar 5555 that's the uh anime set to daft punk's discovery yeah, nice. And while I wanted to rent Full Metal Alchemist because it was the hot new thing, I saw this other show that was on there called Full Metal Panic. And I'm like, huh, I'm curious as to what this is. Is this like a prequel to Full Metal Alchemist or something? So I rented it. I watched it. It was perfect. It had everything. You've got your high school comedy, your excellent romantic relationships between our main characters you've got military intrigue you've got hot-blooded mecha action and you've got loads of suspense in certain scenes and i love the full metal panic series it's easily in my top 10 for most favorite oh absolutely full metal panic is a really underrated anime mm -hmm. i feel that it's it's like you say it's got quite a lot to it that i just don't think you expect from going in at first glance um it's a lot deeper than it seems as well exactly I, I, I quite liked that about it it's been a long time since i've watched it but it, it carried a lot more to it than oh, i thought it would it's great the newest series that came out invisible victory i have never watched an anime series that blew me away so much that i got fused into my couch <laughs> it was also another mecha anime i think it was the first i owned on dvd called go danner and this sort of shaped my philosophy that the best anime out there aren't necessarily the stuff that's popular. And it's a mantra I yeah. hold true to this day. Absolutely. 
So, in terms of, like, your viewing habits, I think that that can sort of transition to, like, what anime do you sort of choose to watch? What are your viewing habits when it comes to anime? So, I have what I call the list, and essentially, um, every now and again, a new anime will get added to the bottom of the list, and it will work its way up to the top once I've watched through whatever it may be. So, I'm currently trying to catch up on part five of JoJo. I'm a huge JoJo nerd. Mm -hmm. Um... But closely after that is, um, oh god, what's it called? The one with the, like, the, it's a very recent anime, and, um, oh, Overlord, Overlord. Oh, uh, uh, Overlord. I tried watching Overlord, couldn't get into it. Yeah, so I tend to give each anime two, three episodes. I don't like not, you know, giving them more than one, um, simply because a lot of my favorite anime the first episode is never fantastic mm-hmm. um one of my favorite super obscure animes um an anime called lovely complex oh episode... i heard i heard good things about that it's really good but episode one is a bit slow mm. there's a lot of establishment in episode one and that's the problem you know they're, they're trying to set up these characters and these dynamics so they don't get enough time to explore them um, and I feel like once you get into episode two, episode three, Lovely Complex really starts to pick up. Really good manga as well. Would highly recommend. Really, really of, interesting art style. It's sort of like how in Bakano, the first episode is the weakest episode. But, you know, once you suddenly realize what's going on, it becomes a fantastic series. Absolutely. Because the, the first episode of Bakano is the end of the show. Or, <laughs> or like how Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is just sort of a reintroduction to Full Metal Alchemist before you get into the proper show. Hmm. That's my example. Uh, my viewing habits, I don't have a list per se, but I've bought a lot of anime over the years that's sitting on my shelf that's been unwatched. It's a case of where I watch whatever I feel like. Like, yeah. the, the most recent anime I finished, because I'd heard good things about it from the mecha community, is Grand Bell. Which is, Ooh, I've not heard of that. I sent it to you. I sent pictures of it to you the other day. It's oh yes, the one with the really chibi mechas. Yeah, it's it's Madoka Magica, but with robots. Yes, and it's 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 one of the better mecha anime that came out in the 2010s because 2010s were not a good decade for anime. Mm. Or no, mecha anime, I should say. Okay, mecha anime. I was uh, about to I'm heavily sorry, disagree I, I, with I, you. I, I would not. While I will always contend that the golden age for anime was the 80s, I'd say that there is no dark period for anime. No, absolutely. It's just a case of you have to know what to watch. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that is down to personal opinion as well. Like, a lot of really popular shows will be things that I don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, as I said, I'm I'm about to give a try to Overlord just because, like, it's been recommended to me so much. But I I am... I can say I'm not that, the, go ahead. Would you believe me if I told you that's the only modern isekai show I've watched? Oh wow, really? Yeah. Yeah. I like I didn't jump onto the bandwagon for things like um Kill the Kill. I didn't jump onto the bandwagon, a uh, bandwagon. <laughs> the bandwagon. Uh, I didn't jump onto the bandwagon for My Hero Macadamia Nuts. Um <laughs> I, I didn't jump onto the bandwagon for Attack on Titan. Like, sometimes I just, you know, just because it's something popular doesn't mean that everyone's going to like it. 
I would probably say the only bandwagons I jumped on were Attack on Titan and Kill la Kill. I was sort of a Johnny-come-lately to My Hero Academia, but like when it comes to the super big shonen series, those are the kind of things I tend to avoid, although I am on the Dr. Stone bandwagon. That show's really good. I, I, the thing is that where I'm such a JoJo nerd, I can't talk anything, so... <laughs> hey, as long as you're not somebody who constantly asks, is this a JoJo's reference? No, because okay. not everything is a JoJo reference. Exactly. Although quite a lot of things are. <laughs> JoJo's references are overrated. Fist of the North Star references are where it's at. Oh, goddamn. Fist of the North Star was so damn good. Like, I, I, I discovered that through JoJo, and I'm glad <laughs> I did. When it comes to my viewing habits, I tend to skew a lot older. Not stuff from, like, five years ago or two years ago, but more like 40 years ago. Like, currently I'm watching this show, Neo-Human Kashan, that came out in 1973. If you've ever seen or heard of Kashern Sins, this is the original show that uh, Kashern Sins came from, but... Oh, wow. Like, it's that old? <laughs> well, Kashern Sins, I believe, was 2007-2008. Yeah, Kashern... but the original being... 73, 70s. yes. Yeah. Oh, damn. And I gotta say, for something made in the 70s, it's surprisingly dark. Not surprised. I'm well, not surprised. It's extremely gritty, a lot of the plans that the villain does, there's an episode where he sends robotic rats into a nearby village to basically steal all of their food. And it's not a case of always keeping it for himself. It's a case of where he's trying to destroy their food supply so that the villagers can grovel before him. Jesus. Okay. Sure thing. <laughs> and in the first episode, our hero Tatsuya decides to become the android Kashan, and it's not like an American cartoon. They say like, well, gee, son, I don't know if it's a good idea whether you should be an android, but the day needs to be saved. His parents get down on their knees and say, Tatsuya, no, you can't become a robot. If you become an android, you won't become human again. And Tatsuya says, it doesn't matter. I need to save the day. I want to be a hero. I kind of like that. I kind of like sort of reluctant hero as a trope is well, underused is, i feel well the thing is he's not the reluctant one it's his parents who are reluctant mm. but it's really good plus it's from the 70s so you know it's gonna have a bitchin theme song absolutely mm -hmm. oh please t please tell me favorite uh opener is one of your questions because i don't oh. have that listed um i think that we'll probably save that for later but yeah, sure yeah, thing. that's my viewing habits i watch whatever i feel like it you've got the list now when it comes to viewing anime sub or dub i am with some exceptions a subs only human oh you sub purist you I'm, I'm not a purist again like i said i voice acted i've done dubs and the persona 4 anime i could have not watched if it wasn't the dubbed version because when you've played the game you know you kind of want the same voices but I just, they, I, I really like my subs. I feel the Japanese the... voices are just what they were originally intended to. I'm not a purist. I don't go you know, against the dubs. Otherwise, you know, I would have put myself out of business as a voice actress back in the day. But, you know, I just prefer. It's just a preference, I suppose. They use the cast from Persona 4 The Golden, from what I understand. As opposed uh, to... So that was only because, um, I can't remember. I think it was Kanji's voice actor. Yeah, Troy um, Baker. Changed, changed over. Yeah. between the anime and the golden 
Um, yeah, yeah, he's uh, played by his voice doppelganger, Matt Mercer. Oh, my baby, Matt Mercer. But um, I think that was literally just because of availability of Troy Baker. I, I have no issues with that. And again, Matt Mercer can do a damn good Troy Baker. <laughs> mm-hmm. But what can't that man do? He does a really good strong bad from Homestar Runner if you're into that series. I can tell I you first indeed. Mm-hmm. Matt Mercer is just voice acting god. Mm-hmm. As far as sub versus dub goes, I am of the no preference. If the show has subtitles as its only option, I'll watch it. If it has a dub, but I'm not a fan of the dub, I'll stick with the subtitles. But if a show has a dub, and I like the dub, I'm sticking with the dub. That's pretty much my thing, and a lot of people, this is a heated issue. But for me, I just look back and I go, I miss the days when dubs were awful. Because the quality of English dubs has gone up so much since the 90s. Go back and watch, say, the Streamline Pictures dub of the Fist of the North Star movie. Or the Manga UK dub of the Devilman OAV. The quality of mm. the acting then versus now is just night and day. Yeah, um, I feel I feel that the quality of English dubs has leapt up in quality over the last 10, 20 years. It has. Um, I don't think the pre-2000s dubs were particularly bad i just feel that modern technology has meant that uh, we can sync the lips better and i think that voice acting in the west has just become more and more of a it's become more of a career i mean when i started voice acting as a kid it wasn't as lucrative as it is now i i left voice acting due to the fact that it started to become more and more i left in the sort of dark age um, uh. the late 2010s sort of 2017 i want to say was the last time i professionally did anything mm. because it started to become oh hey we'll pay you an exposure oh hey we'll pay you an exposure yeah 2016 was the last yeah. time i professionally acted 2016 well you told me that you were in something weren't you i've been in quite a few things yeah i mean the the most prominent anime i've been in the one that i can actually remember the name of was uh, memories magnetic rose I did all of the memories acts, I suppose you'd call it, because it's one film. Segments. With four, it's a segment. But the only one where I had a role that they actually kept in was um, Magnetic Rose, where I played the station operator. Mm. As I said, I've uh, I may have to take up Mike Tool on that one. Actually, no, you can ask him. He's on Facebook because <laughs> he does a panel on the dubs that time forgot. Yeah, I feel the Magnetic Rose dub will have just faded into the ether so we did it for a i did it for a company that i don't think even exists anymore i can't remember its name i'll see if i can dig out the email is it manga going back entertainment? Many, many years ago that sounds correct but a lot of their stuff is just not available anymore hmm didn't know if they were a victim of the anime bubble or not but yeah do you have a favorite english dub I think it'd have to be between two. Um, the Persona 4 anime, the original, not the golden, was really fantastically done. Like, I could not have asked for that to be done better. It was really enjoyable. Um, getting the same voice actors from the game and just genuinely, it just felt really good and really true to the actual story. I just really enjoyed it. And then, pained as it makes me to say so, 
I think I actually prefer the Sailor Moon dub. Which one? The original. Oh, man. Yeah, going real far back. Ah. Uh, but yeah, I, they did, I, nothing has gotten Tuxedo Mask better. <laughs> not even Robbie Damond in the new dub? Tuxedo Mask is my boy. And <laughs> Robbie Damon did okay, but I can't I can't remember who did him in the original dub. I'm oh, gonna have to look that up right yeah. now. <laughs> to the Wikipedia zone. <laughs> I believe his name was Toby Proctor. Ah, yeah. I just the original Tuxedo Mask was just so and it came from that era that we were saying was sort of the less good English dubbing. But yeah. it was just so well done. I really enjoyed it. What do you think of the new dub? I don't hate it. I definitely don't hate it. It's different, but it's uh, it's really good. Yeah, there are plenty of people who do have a soft spot for that dub. So, I, I as I said, I can't be mad at you, Rayra. My favorite dub is one that sort of defied my expectations, and it was for a show that for a while I long considered my favorite TV series for anime, and that's the dub for Black Lagoon. Ooh, good choice. That was a pretty good dub. Because Ocean Studios uh, behind it, they have a really good voice cast who have been in both cartoons and even live-action productions. It's just that when they dub anime, they often have very bad direction, and as such, the reads come off as being very, very stiff. Mm. And not up to par with what the actors can do, but with Black Lagoon, it just shows what Ocean could do with their actors when they're just let loose upon the direction, and they're actually allowed to showcase some more emotions and not just be a slave to the script. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel that any dub company that allows a little bit of creative freedom, a little bit of creative movement... Funimation? You're, you're doing that right. Like, honestly, so long as you don't... You say Funimation, my mind instantly gets drawn to some of the darker things Funimation have done, some of the worst things. Yeah, honestly, anyone that gives the voice actors a little bit of freedom to move, it's really nice. Sure, you'll kick up a lot of fuss from as we mentioned earlier, purists. But luckily, I think that the people who really appreciate anime are the, you know, silent majority. I do fear people doing things like um, the real dark area of changing the subs to dubs. Though. Oh, and no, that's, you... um, that's four kids. Even before four kids, a lot of companies were doing that. I'll send you a link to this really, really bad dub of a uh, Captain Harlock. Oh, from no. The, from the 80s, the Ziv International dub, where they dubbed the first two episodes just fine, and then the second two they said, let's make this a comedy. Uh, no. Why? Th to be honest, those four kids dubs, the acting wasn't bad, the problem was the editing. Yep. Well, some of the acting was bad. We don't talk about that One Piece dub. Oh, I wasn't even thinking of One Piece. That's not what I was thinking of. I was thinking of Bandit Keith <laughs> from the Yu-Gi-Oh! Oh, Yu -Oh! That was so badly done. I don't remember Bandit Keith's voice that much. All I know is that he was voiced by Ted Lewis. Yeah, unfortunately it came off really stilted and came off as just a bit... If you compare the two side by side, it's just completely different. And I feel Apparently that kind of... I don't know if this is true, but my estimation is that why some parts sound so sift was that they had to dub this on a week-to-week -week basis. Oh, gods. One other dub I will always say is one of my absolute favorites. Everybody talks about the Ghost Stories dub for being hilarious because they just 
threw the original script out the window and the Japanese company gave them carte blanche to do what they wanted. I would say another show that kind of does that is this obscure two-episode OAV called Shinesman. It's I've, two- I've not heard of either of these, and I'm suddenly intrigued. <laughs> Shinesman is a parody of Power Rangers slash Super Sentai. where okay. it, asks, it asks the question, what if we took the concept of Super Sentai and set it using salary men and women? It's a loving huh. parody of uh, Super Sentai, and the dub only punches up on the parody. It has one of my favorite lines from anime ever. If you ask me, I think she's one OAV short of a series. Ooh. That is one of my favorite dub lines ever. That's really good. <laughs> you can find the whole thing on YouTube. It's sadly out of print here in the West, and it's an Anaplex license, so it's not going to be coming back anytime soon. So that's our thoughts on the sub versus dubs. I have no preference. You skew to more towards subs. Yeah, Another not, issue... not for any particular reason, but just I find myself skewing that way. On that note, um, how do you feel about fan service in anime? Oh, I fear this is going to be an interesting one, seeing as it's um, we have a very interesting dynamic here, where we have one woman on this podcast and one man on this podcast. Well, you don't and, like uh, fat anime titties? I, I mean, I'm lesbian, so maybe yes, but I... It has to be tastefully done. Something Agreed. like high, something like High School of the Dead, I'm not a fan of. But something like the Love Hotel in the Persona Three movies mm. was so artfully fucking done. Um, and especially as I'm I'm partial to animes such as I believe we mentioned earlier, Idolmaster which are, you know, rife for fan service, but quite luckily tend to avoid it quite well. Um, I feel that if you're going to do it, do it tastefully. If not, fuck off. <laughs> don't, okay. don't turn into... Here, here are some tits. Also, there might be a storyline. My perspective on fan service as a man, because I mentioned Godanner, and that is a show that has a lot of fan service in it but it understands that the fan service is just there as garnish and you're really watching it for the storyline it's just you know given the audience it's aimed at it's sort of used out of necessity but my saying with fan service or etchy anime is that i need more than just boobs to grab onto you yeah. know i need i need <laughs> grab onto I need a good story. I want the characters to be likable. I don't just watch it for, you know, boobies. I want something more. Again, I, I bring up Godanner. You know, that show's got girls with breasts the size of volleyballs and in scantily clad skin-tight outfits, but the story and the characters are so well done that I can just put it behind me. In fact... That was sort of my first fan service anime. The thing is that I think I think my mantra for it is if I wanted to watch hentai, I'd fucking watch hentai. I'm not oh. here for hentai. I'm here well, for watching. Well, that line is starting. Yeah. That line is sort of starting to get shaven a lot thinner. Because, it is because you I, know, I mentioned High School like, of the Dead again. High School of the Dead was wasted potential for me, but like to me, a 
just to list some fan service or harem anime that I enjoy. Oh, there's also Is It Wrong to Pick Up Girls in a Dungeon, which I can never decide whether it's tasteful or not. Mm. Because yeah. it kind of is, because it doesn't focus on it. But You're then probably... the complete and utter stupidity of Hestia's outfit <laughs> that's just not physically possible. Ah. Uh. Yeah, um, just to give you some fan service anime that I genuinely enjoy, um, Monster Musume, High School DXD, um, Asobi ni Ikuyo, or as it's called in the U.S., uh, Planet Cuties. I hate that English name so much, and I want it to die. Um, if it counts, Witchblade, which I enjoy even though it's highly, highly flawed. I don't mind fan service in my anime, just... Don't make that be the only thing that draws you in. Absolutely, Monster Don't Musume. Be Iken. Like Monster Musume, I can kind of forgive for the fact that the amount of goddamn humor in that show almost oh, made me want to watch the it. The characters are so good. I mean, Bird Friend is best friend. Oh, Poppy. Yeah, I lead more towards Centauria because I enjoy her personality. I, I haven't watched enough of it to know many of them, but someone showed me Pappy, and I was like, "This, this, I must protect this adorable bird human." Uh, she's uh, she's high school age. Just letting you know that. I, th this is the problem. <laughs> this is why I think this is a major reason why I don't like fan service animes because ninety nine percent of the time. You're sat there. I, I mean, I do this a lot with the Ruby community as well. The amount mm. of time where I have to remind people, like, you have fun looting those characters that are 14 and 15. Uh, you you do that. You have heavy. fun over there. Oh, Yamada's First Time. That's another one that I like that's uh, kind of heavy on the fan service. Oh, I almost forgot. Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. I've, I've heard good things about that. It's actually on my list to give a try. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, give it a shot. I think you'll enjoy it. So yeah, we've got through the fan service. Now, uh, conventions. Have you been to any conventions in your lifetime? So I actually used to cosplay professionally as well. <laughs> For a little while, I did some cosplay stuff with Atlas UK to promote Persona 4 Arena. So yeah, I've been to a lot of MCM Comic Cons in the UK. Um, I've cosplayed as uh, various characters from mostly Persona, I used to be part of the biggest Persona group in the UK. I then did quite a lot of stuff from Idolmaster, and I've even done a handful of characters from more obscure animes. And here's here's another one that brings us back to the fan service being done slightly tastefully. Uh, Baka to Test. Oh, Baka and Test! I have cosplayed Aiko, who is hmm. probably the most fan service-y character, as she's the one who uses her sexuality to get her way, but in a hilarious fucking fashion. Mm-hmm. The first time they introduced Aiko as this green-haired, ridiculous sort of... If I mention my boobs, they'll do what I want. It's just fucking hilarious. On average, I go to four to six conventions per year. I have my first of the year in February, which is KatsuCon. That is down in Maryland on the border of Virginia and Washington, D.C., Held in the Gaylord National Harbor, which is this beautiful hotel that overlooks the Potomac. Yep, a friend of mine goes to this convention as well, so I actually know it quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've got KatsuCon. I've been to uh, Anime Next, which is my local convention. I, I started going to cons in 2006. Conventions were really the only people where I knew people that watched anime because I was lonely in my school. Like, I was sort of the only person who watched anime 
that wasn't Dragon Ball Z or Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I was there its final year at the uh, Meadowlands Convention Center. They had so little space to work with, they had to put the artist's alley in a parking garage and curtain it off. Nice. Yeah, like in one of the garages beneath the convention center. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> and a panel room was under there too. Then they moved to a summer set where the convention was spread out across several hotels. And now oh, they're down. Now they're down in Atlantic City where everything is in one convention hall and they have loads of space to work with. Ooh, nice. I've been to that venue. It's very nice. Not so nice if you're a cosplayer because there really aren't that many spots for photo shoots. Mm, I feel I feel a good convention hall needs a good area for photo shoots. Uh, I mean, anyone who's seen photos from MCM London will know that there's sort of this iconic giant shipping cranes outside <laughs> the front entrance. And you can spot them from a mile off and go like, ah, that'll be from MCM London then. The amount of times where I'll be scrolling through cosplay photos or watching cosplay videos uh, that just happened across my Facebook feed or whatever it may be, and I'll see those giant cranes and I'll be like, ah, that'll be where it was then. I've uh, pretty much memorized the Gaylord from Katsukon from back to front. Uh, yeah, the mezzanine level, like the main level for Anime Next, it has some good areas, but the best way I can describe the layout, it's like a shopping mall. Like, you have four separate levels that overlap with each other. MCM does this kind of really interesting thing where I haven't been for a, a year or two now. Uh, my other main cons have just sort of been other sort of smaller UK things like RTX UK, when they had that, was fantastic. But all of them used the Excel Center, and the Excel Center has this sort of interesting way of separating where all of the halls can be one hall or opened up into multiple so you have this two sides of this big, long sort of walkway through the middle, and then you have however many halls are connected together. But recently in MCM, or at least the last ones I went to, they started separating things into, okay, so these halls are where we have all of our memorabilia stuff. Uh, these halls are where we have all the shopping stuff. These halls that, are where we have all the food stuff. And that's what like, they do. Directly at, separating them. That's what they do at the conventions here in the US. Usually they keep the dealer's room and the artist's alley separate unless they don't have to. And also, like, um, quick plug if you want to do something good for your local community, make sure that you go to your artist's alley at the next convention you go to and support oh, local artists. Um... Slight aside to our anime stuff, support your local artist community at your next convention. I certainly do. So what's your experience generally been like at these sort of conventions? And do you have any con horror stories? Uh, I have some, I have some wonderful stories. Um, but the one that really, really sticks out I, I think will probably be my main story to tell because it's a little, little long. We were doing our first con where we were supporting the Atlas booth for Persona 4 Arena Ultimax. I want to say it was the second one. And I had cosplayed Metis from Persona 3 FES. And of course, the game wasn't out yet. And that was the cosplay I had at the time because she's my favorite character. And the amount of lip I got from passersby of, well, Metis isn't in the game. Why are you cosplaying Metis on the stool and stuff like that? And I think that was one of the days where I genuinely considered quitting cosplay. I think that's the only real horror story I've got other than, you know, getting lost. I also have fantastic, wonderful stories as well. 
a really interesting one is uh, i went to uh, take a selfie with my friend we were about to go and leave the convention this is ages and ages and ages back now and um i can never remember whether it was troy baker or yuri lowenthal but someone popped up from behind us and was like oh guys can i get into the selfie as well and we thought at first god who's this random person with an american accent jumping into our thing and then we realized who it was i can never remember if it was troy baker or yuri lowenthal but yeah they just jumped into our selfie and it was amazing and then many stories of uh, rtx london when that was still a thing of uh, bumping into random rooster teeth members on the show floor and being like, holy fuck, you're this person that I idolize, but in real life. All right. my I think like one of my fondest uh, convention memories was meeting Noboro Ishiguro at Otakon oh, nice. 2009. Do you know who that is? Uh, vaguely. The name definitely rings a bell. I am he is, rapidly Googling. <laughs> he is the director for Space Battleship Yamato, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Megazone 2-3, and the 1980 Astro Boy series. Oh, damn, along with the, yeah along with the director for Macross. I was lucky enough to go to that convention. I begged my dad to take me because I didn't have a car yet. And we stayed at a hotel that was like a half hour away from the convention. Damn. But getting to meet one of anime's most significant directors and having him sign both my Macross box set and one of my Legend of Galactic Heroes' Roman album just made my day. As far as great people i got to meet i got to meet the staff from megalobox and anime nyc oh singing the getter robo theme in front of the, the people from trigger that was also great they laughed out loud when i was singing the getter robo theme because of course getter robo was one of their many influences on the shows that they have made i always love it when i get to meet the japanese guests because to me you know i can just go to any convention where a voice actor is and get their autograph but when I get to meet, like, the people who actually worked on the show themselves. As far as my worst experience goes, I would probably say I had a bag of stuff that I wanted to get signed stolen from me at oh, no. Colossal Con. Set it down to play a rhythm game. Looked to my side. It wasn't there anymore. And I, ha I have recouped my losses. I managed to get everything that was stolen from me back. But that was just the shit. So I'm assuming you haven't... Have you done any panels at these conventions? No, so I've never actually done a panel. I I nearly did. Uh, when there was a bit of a divide going on in the Persona group, we were going to run a panel. A smaller English convention. I can't remember its name off the top of my head. Uh, but we were going to go to a smaller UK convention that sort of allows more general panels because MCM is very strict with their panels. Um, and we were going to run a panel on um shin megami tensei games and sort of introduce people because uh, this was around the time persona 5 was being announced uh. at first teased and we were going to sort of tell people of like hey you know if if you like the idea of persona 5 if you've played persona 4 and 3 you should go back and play things like digital devil saga or Nocturne. strange strange journey nocturne oh i don't know if i'd recommend nocturne to people that's that's cruel that's punishing to them <laughs> one of my friends bought nocturne because he was curious about the series he had previously played digital devil saga how the long till he threw I... it away <laughs> no the only thing i told him was beware the matador yes and <laughs> oh i love and, matador so much and i was 
in my car on break from back when I worked at Acme, which is a grocery store in my area. And he called me up and in this utterly defeated voice said, Nate, I'm at the Matador. And of course, naturally he got the shit beat out of him. But oh, he's, no. he's pressed forward I, 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 with it. I mean, my personal favorite and the one that I was going to be talking about at this panel was uh, Soul Hackers. Soul Ooh. Hackers was damn good. Highly recommend it to anyone who wants a interesting and different JRPG with a very cool story. And I want to get the really cool I get, characters. I want to get the 3DS version mostly because it's got Raido Kuzunoha in it. Yeah, it does. Um, I would highly recommend the 3DS version of Soul Hackers as well because that's the version I played. <laughs> I have done a ton. And I mean a ton of panel. My flagship panel is the best anime movies you haven't seen, which is a panel, as you might have guessed, on obscure anime movies. I've done one on Gundam, uh, The Rose of Versailles, The Birth, Death, and Rebirth of the OAV, The American Anime Bubble of 2008, Kimono Friends, Death Parade, and Legend of Galactic Heroes. I feel more people need to watch the Persona 3 movies, so you should definitely shout those out. I try to avoid things that are based on an already existing series, the only exception being Galaxy Express 3.9. Yeah. That's pretty much it, as far as panels go. Um, so, how do you feel about the anime fandom, and what do you love or hate about it? So, I do have a love-hate relationship with the anime fandom, and again, this is going back to sort of the representation of women in an anime, and I feel the sort of massive divide between anime specifically designed for women uh, and anime including in that anime that might not be specifically designed for but anime that is fair and nice for women and then the yeah, shit like monster musume like we discussed earlier and i feel that that divide is still huge and it needs to be addressed and i feel that anime gets just over sexualized quite a lot like an, a painful amount it takes five minutes of, of a character being on screen before there's a thousand fucking entries on Rule 34. <laughs> and it, it pains me because, you know, these characters mean so much more than just their appearance. Especially as someone who's, you know, and I'm a fiction author, you know, I, I love my characters a lot. But there's this difference between making a character, a female character, sort of powerful and aware of her own sexuality and things like that. And then just a character who is a pair of tits stapled to a two by four. Um, so, whereas on the other hand, the thing I love the anime community for is how much we can come together and rally together in times of need. So um, uh, the whole Vic McNagnog problem that we had recently. Can we uh, not go there? Yeah. It's not, it's not that I defend Vic. I had no position in that whole thing. It's just, I don't want to talk about it. Fair. Simply because of just how messy the whole thing is. Yeah, I mean, the point still stands that when the anime community is troubled by something, it can rally together very, very quickly. And I, I like that. I like how together the anime community is um, and how, you know, supportive people are of new cosplayers and newbies to the formula. You know, people who've never watched an anime before. I feel that compared to some of the other communities I'm in, you know, if someone turns around to you and says, I haven't seen that anime, nowadays, the reaction is, oh, cool, you should watch it, rather than, oh, my God, I can't believe you haven't seen that. How do you know, how dare you? 
I feel that that attitude has really spawned in the community, especially over the last couple of years. And it's really nice because it means that, you know, when I turn around to someone and say, oh, I haven't seen that, the answer isn't, how dare you not have seen that? It's more, oh, you should definitely check that out. And I like I that. Don't think, I don't think anybody's going to be mad at me for not seeing a single episode of, oh, I don't know, hmm, Naruto. No, same here. <laughs> fairy tale same here black clover i've I, i've watched some black clover <laughs> demon slayer i trying to think don't even know what that one is am i gonna be uh, am i gonna be screamed at in the comments for not knowing what demon slayer is you probably will oh no you'll be screamed at for not knowing what it is and i will be screamed at for not having watched it as i mentioned earlier i don't like sword Art online i don't like attack on titan i think you know, Attack on Titan was relatively average. Mm. And I mean, a lot of the Shonen Jump stuff I can yeah. avoid. I'm not a Naruto fan or a One Piece fan. Exactly. But the thing I is watched... that I won't stop someone else from enjoying those things. I, exactly. I, I have my opinion on those series, but I won't. If you fucking love Naruto and you want to be the next Hokage, you go for it, buddy. I watched like 52 episodes of Bleach until I discovered everything else. I like to say it was Legend of the Galactic Heroes that actually killed my interest for Bleach because I got up to episode 26 of that show and something happened in there that made me stare at the screen for a good minute and made me go, damn it, I want to see more. Like it was just yeah. sort of that moment where you realize just what anime truly is. I feel and that I there watched... is I feel that there's no true formula to good anime though. And I feel that that's exactly. that's that's what I like again about the community that you know if if I turn around to someone and say my favorite anime is Ayazawa's Nana but someone else mm. turns around to me and says their favorite anime is what's one of the more obscure Gundams <laughs> but you know someone turns around and says it's After Gundam, War Gundam X Sure. You know those things could not be further apart in genre and style and everything. But it doesn't mean that we have to disagree. I find myself in a divide with the anime community, but it's nothing political or moral. It's a case of the casuals versus the hardcores. And I feel like and there's no problem with that as well. I consider myself to be a 28-year-old boomer as far as my taste <laughs> in anime goes. I mean, I told you I'm watching something from the 70s. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But my anime tastes are older than me. <laughs> my biggest problem with fans aren't the ones that watch the popular stuff. It's the ones that watch only the popular stuff. Yeah. And don't bother watching anything that was made either before or beyond what's currently airing. Yeah, if if you if the only things you watch are the top five animes on Crunchyroll right now, then I feel... The top five anime on my anime list. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I, I can't stop you. I won't disagree with you, but I like people who have an open mind. Dude, if I suggest something to you, try it, please. Because you won't, exactly. you might not hate it. Just because it's not the most popular anime in the world doesn't mean you're not going to like it. Give something the a go. The one type of anime fan I absolutely cannot stand are the fans who say they won't watch something because it looks old. Yikes, like there's people not, who say that? Some of them out there, they exist. Why? I mean, granted, a lot of stuff from the 60s and 70s is really gritty and the animation can be kind of jerky at times. But I think that's also sort of the charm where you see just yeah. how far we've come. I mean, Magnetic Rose is, uh, 
late 70s, well, early 80s, I believe? 95. Oh, it's 90s. Wow. And it's, it looks real gritty. But mm-hmm. it, it still holds up. It's fun. It's it's good to watch. Would highly recommend. Not just because I was in the probably you won't find it anywhere English dub. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so it's on the list. It's on there somewhere. If I find the list, I can tell you what it's in between. I talk about anime aesthetics. One thing that I can go back and say hasn't aged well. Any of the early digitally animated anime from the late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Sorry, but a lot of those shows just look so bleh. This sort of dawn of 3D animation as well, where every show had to do something in 3D, and it was... I, I applaud you for trying, but that does not look great. But my problem is, of course, you know, the casual fans that refuse to watch anything that was made before the year 2000s, or the ones that do not have standards. And I know you're not going to get on people for liking something, but anybody who says that their favorite mecha anime is something like Darling in the Franks makes my soul hurt. <laughs> you see, I I take a very uh, strict sort of, you know, I won't stop someone loving something. If you love that thing, you go do you. I'm happy if, for you. But if it's I, I, if the reason you love it is because you've not tried anything else and you have a closed mind to trying exactly. other things, then I disagree. So if I'd said Persona 3 is my favorite um, Shin Megami Tensei game, but I'd never played Strange Journey. I'd never played, you know, uh, Raidu Kuzunoha, you know, etc., etc. Then I'd feel bad saying that because I'd never tried anything different. You know, I'd never tried anything outside of the Persona series. And whilst I could say I have a favorite Persona game, a favorite SMT game, if you've never played anything but Persona, feels a bit... I get you. I'll never stop someone loving something, but... I just implore people to have an open mind. It's sort of like how when people say their favorite Gundam is Iron-Blooded Orphans, I'll always look at them and I'll say, hey, have you seen anything from the Universal Century? If not, you know, go and check out the UC movie trilogies. Watch the 8th MS team. Watch Gundam 0080. There's a lot to love about uh, those Gundam shows. Yeah, I mean, I'm a basic bitch. My favorite Gundam is Wing. <laughs> you know, I love Gundam Wing. It was so goddamn good. But, you know, it's not that I haven't tried other Gundam. I've watched all the UC films. They were fucking brilliant. Have you seen Zeta? I have not seen Zeta. Um, I just really enjoyed Wing. Wing was fun. Okay. <laughs> I plan on watching it. Yeah, my favorite Gundam is 0080, which I wholly recommend. It's the Gundam series for people who aren't Gundam fans. Oh, nice. Okay. See, I, I feel it... just everything needs more Big Zam, so... <laughs> how much i would pay for a master grade big zam because i've put several gunpla kits together nice. i feel like i feel like if i ever progress far enough in roboteering i'd quite like to make like a mini walker big zam <laughs> hey you can make a walker and call it big zam <laughs> don't give me ideas like that let me build an actual big zam don't, don't set my don't <laughs> set my standards lower okay ryan beaver <laughs> But yeah, so it, I, I feel that we've already covered quite a lot and like we do have very differing opinions, but I feel that that's great because as I mentioned mm-hmm. with anime fans, we can have this, I wouldn't even call it discourse, you know, we can have this difference in opinions and judgment and it'd be fantastic. And that that's what I do like about the anime community. As I said, I don't like the fans who are closed minded, the ones Same. who say newer anime is better than older anime or the opposite. The ones who won't watch something because it looks old, 
or you know they won't watch something based on the artwork even though critically it's been a good darling like say flowers of evil for instance <laughs> you know everybody everybody craps on that show because of the artwork but if you actually go and watch it it's actually really damn good this has been a great conversation so i think we should get into the finale okay with our picks for best and worst anime what do you want to go first <sighs> should we should we discuss worst first get get the, the real crap out of the way let's go with that first uh, you know what i'm gonna say it and i'm gonna stick to it and i'm not gonna take it back i genuinely really really dislike sword art online you're not i tried and tried and tried to watch it i have a lot of friends who love that show and i will never stop them loving that show but it's not for me <laughs> it's such a <laughs> it's such a show. A show that spawned countless terrible isekai anime. Yeah. It's the fact would... that so much stuff has been done since that they've gone, oh, we could just do Sword Art Online, but insert slight difference here. And it's like, mm -hmm. yo, could you not? <laughs> could... Daryl Surratt from the Anime World Order podcast, which I do recommend you check out because it's my favorite anime podcast and it made me the elitist anime shitlord that I am today. He pointed out that the difference between isekai anime then and now is that the protagonists in the older isekai shows, even though they were in this magnificent fantasy world, their end goal was ultimately to go home. Yeah. They wanted to get back to their regular Absolutely, lives. Absolutely, right? In modern, yeah, whereas in modern isekai anime, it's like, you know, pff, screw getting home, man. I'm going to stay here with my overpowered weapons with all of these bitches who want to ride my you-know-what all night. I'm going to teach them how to ride the love salami. Yeah, just the, you're, you're literally just conjuring up images of how to pick up girls in the dungeon. It's just, nah. <laughs> and the thing is that I don't, I don't, hate's a strong word. I don't think I hate any animes, but if I had to dislike one the most, then Sword Art Online can get in the fucking sea. <laughs> Sword Art Online to me is one of the is the worst type of anime. Well, no, it's it's from what I can glean, it's just average. Yeah, but it's like it's it's a case where it's just what because it's, it's done. popular. That's what I don't like about exactly. it. It's what it's done. <laughs> and people defend it, saying, "Well, it was my entry drug to anime." Like if like, it being your entry, standards. if it's your entry drug, cool beans that's fine mm -hmm. but watch a load more shit then go back and watch it and if you still love that then that's cool but i like to i mean i've gone back and watched animes that i've loved as a kid and watched them with with you know new eyes and have either picked up on newer things and liked it more or sometimes liked it less yeah i, I will concede that one of my favorite anime movies of all time interstellar 5555 does not necessarily hold up to repeated viewing but it is still one of my all-time favorite anime movies because of what it did to me yeah. as a fan. Whereas... And it is objectively a good film, whereas Sword Art Online, in hindsight, it just feels like it's an average show. Whereas I could go back and rewatch the Persona 4 anime and I would not find it any different, in my opinion. Like, I'd go back, I'd watch it, I'd still enjoy it. My pick for worst anime, I've already hinted that I really disliked Darling in the Franks. That unholy trinity of guilty crown aldnoa zero and darling in the sucks <laughs> those are just three of my picks for the worst anime of the decade because guilty crown 
it's the anime equivalent of Oasis's Be Here Now, in that it's just this bloated mess that has no idea what it wants to do, and is more concerned with having flashy action scenes than actually having any depth or meaningful character development. Alb Noah Zero, it's just great value Tesco discount UC Gundam and SPT Lasner that has a passable first season and th then just completely craps the bed in the second season. And Darling in the Franks is just ugh. Yeah, it's it's decidedly average and just decidedly bland. I'm not a fan of Darling in the Franks. Okay. Did you pick up on the homophobia in the show? I did indeed. Yeah. It's uh, the thing is me, that a lot the... of a lot of anime does have that, but my pick for best anime, there's a big reason for why, and you'll you'll find out. And the thing is that it tackled homophobia in a very interesting way. But that's for my best pick. You'll have to wait for that. All right, but no, the worst thing I, I can say that I've ever seen. I've seen MD Geist, which many people say is the worst anime ever made. MD Geist is plenty bad, but it's entertaining. I can't say that there was a moment of MD Geist where I can say, ugh, this is the worst thing ever. I'm I was like, just going, oh man, this is bad, but I am laughing. And I mean, love it as much as I do, it's it's not difficult for me to pick holes in JoJo. JoJo is <laughs> probably one of my favorite animes of all time, and there's always holes you can pick. Well, it's not a case of just picking holes. Like, I love Witchblade to death, and that show is full of holes but the emotion that's written in that show is so good that i can just ignore some of its many faults but i would say the worst anime i have ever seen is mouse mm. it's the story of a thief named sorata who is a school teacher by day a thief at night and he's got two busty and one flat-chested assistants that accompany him on his missions and you would think that it would actually be somewhat decent, sort of like Lupin the Third meets this yeah. 80s show called Cat's Eye. I'm picking up, like, but, you know, that sort of um, noir or detective Eve feel always gives me, like, Detective Conan vibes straight off the bat. Like, something as iconic then, as that. And then you watch it, and, like, the opening scene, he steals a whole building, and you just Wait, ask yourself... <laughs> what? And then, and then How does as one you... steal a building? He implodes it. And then it just goes on and it just gets so much worse. Like the fan service in that show. You want to talk about distasteful? High school DXD would tell you to tone it down. Jesus fuck. Our main character, I think he has bipolar disorder because one minute he's this awkward school teacher in his 20s that is being sexually harassed by his female assistants and in the next moment he is this brave thief who is dominating them oh god it's just the absolute worst you could say darling in the franks is awful and it is but mouse is just absolutely irredeemable like, even Seikon no Quasar, as awful as that show is, it at least understood what it was. Doesn't try and sell itself as something different. You're getting into this extremely erotic, exploitive, virtually borderline hentai fanservice show. You get what you get. It's exactly what you, it says. You know what you're getting into. You're watching this because With of what it is. 
with Mouse, you you look at the artwork and you're like, okay, yeah, this is going to be like a fun Lupin wannabe series with fan service. No, it is so much worse than that. And the manga it's based on is even worse. It's just a doujin shape with extra steps. With more bondage. So should we move on to best? best? Yes, let's. It's always darkest before the dawn and let's talk about our favorites. I have a top three. I, too, have three, but it's one for each medium, shall we say. So, third, for sort of the impact it's had on me, how much I've loved every minute of it, and just how enjoyable it is, and how I could just I could just go back and watch it over and over again, because I love it that damn much, it has to be JoJo. Surprised that it's coming at number three, but I just really enjoy how much it splits humor and action and badass characters so much so that you don't feel bad for really fucking loving the villain number two would be evangelion for how inspirational it's been for me it was it was one of my first major animes i watched it's it's huge it's fantastic it's it's really special and nothing quite compares to evangelion nothing compares to the emotions that you go through especially when you get to the very end of you know evangelion and um the congratulations scene will always make me both laugh and cry but number one my favorite anime and we mentioned this earlier very briefly and i kind of wanted to knowing that this was a question that was coming up uh, i've cosplayed from it um it references both jojo and evangelion and i have never fallen out of my seat laughing quite as much as watching back at a test Ooh, back and test not a, not a bad choice um as I mentioned, uh, when we said about uh, homophobia, it deals with homophobia in a very interesting way with um, Hideyoshi. Um, uh, Hideyoshi. The, the trap! No, you see, so that word makes me upset. So that word is genuinely horrible. As a, tra- oh, as a trans woman, like that word, like, over-sexualizes trans people. It's, it's a horrible thing. Hideyoshi isn't a trap because Hideyoshi is Hideyoshi's own gender. The, the the time when they go to the bathhouse and Hideyoshi goes off to go with the guys and the guys go, what? You can't come with us. You're a girl. Because that's the whole joke of Hideyoshi. The fact that even though he goes, no, I swear, seriously, I am a guy. Uh, not helped by the fact that he has an identical twin sister. Um, um, and then the bathhouse goes, oh, no, actually, we've got we've got our own room just for you. <laughs> the, the third room in the middle is Hideyoshi. I thought that was so well done and so brilliantly hilarious and it really covers like a lot and yeah it's got its stupid fan servicey bits I mean you know it's um Mussolini as a character is literally just the representation of all of the people that watch it for the fan service but it's just so damn funny and never before have I fallen out of my chair quite as much watching anything but back at a test and i feel i can go back and watch it every now and again and it still has its charm for me my three favorites are i have one movie one tv series and one oav oh damn my favorite movie is macross do you remember love it is a retelling of the macross tv series which i do recommend but fair warning the animation is terrible, even by the standards of 1983 when it first came out. But the movie Macross Do You Remember Love, it's all original animation, completely redone. They changed some things from the stories. 
So, like, you know, some characters got better send-offs than they did in the TV series. The soundtrack is phenomenal, and you get the greatest song in anime ever made, Do You Remember Love? It's unfortunate that we're never, ever going to get this show here in America, because Harmony Gold are a bunch of dickwads, and they're sitting on the license, and they won't let anyone outside of Japan use the Macross license. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> Go ahead and look up the whole Harmony Gold Macross thing. It, the whole situation is just a mess. I'm gonna definitely delve into that after this. <laughs> The only complaint I have about the Macross Do You Remember Love movie is that it doesn't really explain the premise of Macross. It just sort of assumes you know what the premise of Macross is and just throws you in. So you kind of have to tell people what the premise of Macross is. After that, it's all smooth sailing. I mean, uh, my it, it's, it's um, Macross is just a really enjoyable little thing of its own as well, so... I feel that, like, introducing you into Macross, the way that it did is just... They did it well enough. My favorite TV series is Death Parade. Ooh. And while I feel comfortable talking about the premises for other anime, Death Parade, I will never, ever tell you what the premise to that one is. Go and watch it. It's a great show. It goes through a myriad of demotions. It's funny. It's romantic. It's dramatic. It's dark, it's horror, it's tragic. It's alive, afraid, a lie, a sin. It's magic, it's tragic, it's a loss, it's a win. It's rock, it's noise, it's a bitter pain. It's sad, it happened, and it's a shame. I've not actually heard of it, so I'm gonna actually have to go and watch it. <laughs> yeah, don't like read any reviews. Don't read any blurbs about it. Go and watch it. This is one where I actually recommend the dub because I like uh, the main character's voice in that one a lot more mm. than the subversion. And my Still favorite OAV... My favorite OAV, I mentioned this earlier, it's uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes. And I once again go back to Anime World Order to this one, because Anime World Order brought it up several times on their show, and I said, Legend of the Galactic Heroes? What on earth is that? And so I looked it up, I saw that it was very highly rated by Anime News Network, so I torrented the series because nobody would bother to touch it, given how expensive it is to license. And I started watching it, and the first few episodes were good. But again, once I hit that magical episode 26, that was when it went from being great to being a masterpiece. Because Legend of the Galactic Heroes is a space opera. It's the story of a war between the Galactic Empire and the Free Planets Alliance. And the thing that might turn off a lot of people is that it's a show that's very heavy on talking. It is very much a talking heads sort of show. Mm. It is also very political, but it's a case where the politics are internalized within that show. The central political conflict is a monarchy versus a democracy. Not necessarily which one of these is better, but it sort of showcases both of these sides have their problems. With a monarchy you not only have to worry about the Kaiser, but also those who are below him, who are constantly scheming to try and undermine his regime. Whereas with a democracy, it's a democracy. And I'll show you, I'll send you a clip that sort of embodies just what Legend of the Galactic Heroes is all about. Sweet. And the battles themselves aren't the sort of, ooh, high octane, ships exploding sort of thing. There's plenty of ships going boom, but it's all about the tactics in the fight. Yeah. Ship formation, long-term strategy. 
and the really, really good for your war nerds. <laughs> apparently, the show's original author, Yoshiki Tanaka, he was hugely influenced by naval battles from World War II. So we wanted to introduce a lot of that into Legend of the Galactic Heroes. I actually have an honorable mention for mine as well, because uh, it comes with a pretty interesting story. But I'll leave that to make sure that you covered all you want to cover first. So uh, keen-eyed viewers might have recognized that my name itself and the fact that I'm a trans woman, etc., etc., does actually come from an anime. Well, more from the manga, but from an anime. And that is Rara from the anime slash manga Nana by Ayazawa. And uh, so the, the fun story behind that is that me and a few friends are really, really, really big fans of Nana. It's a really emotional, really heartbreaking. Again, I won't spoil any of the twists, but it's it really wrenches at your heartstrings sort of anime with this premise, initial premise of like, oh, look at these two girls with the same name. They're going to get on so well. And then both of their lives completely fucking collapsing. And the character Rara is this sort of secondary character who, at the time uh, when I came out as trans, before that as well, I had a lot in common with. I shared a lot of her personality traits and things like that. I've, I've grown up a lot since. I'm not quite the same as she is. But it was a nickname for me before I came out. So when I transitioned and when I chose, you know, this is it, I'm going to come out and I'm, I'm going to be me. I was like, well, Rara is so me that it's just my name anyway. <laughs> so that, there's your story as to why I'm called Rara. Hmm. It's exclusive to the hardcore podcast. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, I think that just about wraps up the show, to be honest. We asked everything we could ask. Honorable mentions of favorite anime for TV series. I'm going to go with Black Lagoon. Because I'm a mecha nerd, Armored Trooper Votoms. I think some really interesting shout outs for things that people should check out. I can't remember if they've actually turned it into an anime yet. I know they're intending to, if not. But Magical Girl Apocalypse is fucking hella tight. I keep seeing the manga for it in stores. I think they're intending to, and of course, we wouldn't be anywhere without Madoka Magica. Or sorry, Magangster. Everyone Gucci until the one scene. Do I? Um, do people know the one scene from Madoka? Do I spoil that? I know a thing or two about women in refrigerators. <laughs> Everyone Gucci till Mammy's head comes off. Honorable mentions for my favorite movies. I'm going to go with the original 1995 Ghost in the Shell and millennium actress i harp on about it enough but the persona 3 movies are hot fucking shit they are amazing they are they have music that absolutely slams and they just encapsulate the game whilst also altering the story enough to keep it interesting to those who myself who've played the game like 20 fucking times in honorable mentions for oavs i'm gonna go with golden boy which is one of the funniest shows ever made and i think you should watch it it's really good and uh cyber city 808 which is a cyberpunk action anime oh i've got to try that uh, it, I, it was dubbed in the uk nice and then if, if you're familiar with dark souls one of the characters was voiced by the guy who plays solaire nice okay uh, and then oavs for me um it's a split between two because i can never really choose but the angel beats oav is really damn good um and i will always champion uh derpy fucking dio in the jojo oav the original uh, 1990s OAV. It's so bad, but so good. D Dio is just a fucking madman in that. It's just so different to what we now have. Stardust Crusaders is great, but the OAV, go fucking watch it. Okay, so this is going to be a little bit of an addendum uh, to this episode because Rara and I forgot to talk about our uh, favorite openings and endings. 
And for this, we've decided to stretch out this segment as long as possible by sort of giving five of our favorites. Uh, mine are not going to be ranked. I'm just choosing one per each decade because I have a massive playlist of over 300 openings. Rare is going to be giving me her top five. Yep, so I've ranked mine. It was really difficult to actually pick a top five. And for a lot of these, I will be explaining why I chose these over certain other ones as well, um, especially with ones where it comes to shows that have had multiple openings <laughs> when it's been, or, or multiple endings as well and why it's been quite difficult. But yeah, I think we're ready to get the show on the road and start talking favorite openings. Who's first? I think you should go first. Ladies first, Rera. Oh, thank you. So my number five opening is Perfect Area Complete which is the first opening to Back at a Test. It never fails to make me smile. It's a really good little sing-along one. And it's just got that sort of charm and bounce that the show continues to have all the way through. miss this one when assembling my mega opening playlist i know right it's so good it's so bouncy and energetic this is gonna be a rather silly comparison it gives me this vibe of an anime opening i'd hear in the 90s yeah no i can definitely get that it's definitely not a sort of style that you see in more modern animes mm -hmm. but it's definitely got that same production value that more modern animes have it's a really lovely opening that fits the theme of the show it's got that silliness to it but also that sort of really light-hearted and fun to it it really gives a great introduction to back at a test as a whole i love the uh visuals as well the art direction with the uh pastel colors i know so one of the brilliant things about this is um one of my one of the cosplays that I've done in the past is Ico from Back at a Test. And the first piece of art I ever saw of Ico was that sort of pastel from the opening. And from that moment, I knew like, okay, cool green haired girl. I probably want to cosplay her. <laughs> I guess I should give you my favorite opening from the 1970s. And this is a show that has had multiple openings Usually it has the same melody to it. It's the same song over and over again by the same composer. But in particular, I chose this one because it ran in commercials for when it ran on Adult Swim. And Ooh, I just love okay. the overall direction for it. I'm going with Lupin the Third, the second opening to part two from 1976. Nice. Affectionately just known as Lupin the Third, 1976. Right, let's have a listen to this. I 
Okay, so that was both the grooviest thing I have ever listened to. Holy shit, the art direction. This is just what happens when Japan is told, hey, make something that's a James Bond opening. <laughs> that's what. That's why I like it. A lot of the Lupin openings are great, but again, it's mostly just the same song with that general melody. Da, 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 da. There are exceptions to that, I know. Part three, the part that nobody likes, used a city pop song called Sexy Adventure. I like that song too. Quick honorable mention there. I'm a big fan of my city pop, so I would have probably enjoyed it. But this, to me, it's one of few times you have the Lupin opening with vocals. And I've heard that song with vocals several times, but nothing tops the 76 version. And as Rara mentioned, absolutely gorgeous psychedelic visuals. You can pinpoint the exact year this came out. It is extremely damn groovy. And I don't normally use that as a, um, as a as a descriptor, but there's no other word that can fit it quite as much. But yeah, I, I genuinely enjoyed that opening. That is something that I, you know, that's made me want to go and watch the show. The 70s are very much one certain type of opening. You can hear that disco influence to them, but for the most part, 70s anime openings are very heavy on brass instruments and a little bit of the strings in there too as well as having the holy trinity of three of anime's most famous singers, Ichiro Mizuki, Isao Sasaki, and Mitsuko Horie. There are many others, but I feel those three are the most famous of the trio. Honorable mentions for my favorite anime openings from the 70s, I am going to go with the theme for Space Battleship Yamato because of just how epic it is and how iconic it is. I can sing every word of that song from memory. The theme for the original Cutie Honey... It's very much in the vein of Lupin the Third 76 in that it has great visuals along with a groovy theme song. And I'm going to go with an off-the-collar one. The opening to Heidi, Girl of the Alps. I have not even heard of that that one. Well, in the 70s, they did something called the World's Masterpiece Theater, where they did anime adaptations of classical literature. And the opening to Heidi, Girl of the Alps, is this really cute and fun and innocent song that actually features yodeling. Oh, wow. Okay, that's quite impressive. So, jumping across to my number four. So, my number four has a lot of sentimental meaning to me, as it was my first sort of major, as mentioned in our actual anime podcast... It was the first one that actually made me fall in love with anime entirely. And this is Broken Rose, the first opening to the show Nana. I need your love. Fantastic. Great song, and what I love about this one are the visuals. It's not your typical sort of shoujo anime opening where it showcases all of the characters and you get a glimpse into their personalities. It's mostly focusing on the two nanas, and you get a sense of who the two nanas are. The other characters do appear, but not in the sense that you'd think. Like the Very s- briefly. I mean, most of Trap The shot of them on a billboard. Yeah. 
the entirety of the other band trap nests just show up on a billboard poster um what i love about it is the most important thing about this is that anna sakaya who uh, sings this opening really awesome punk japanese artist is also the voice actress for the nana that's part of the blackstones and is also part of the inspiration behind the style and design so ayazawa actually spoke with these two artists about their design throughout making the manga as well as the making of the anime i had the first two volumes of nana and then i left them at a doctor's office when i was in high school oh no i have all of the ones currently written unfortunately ayazawa is still quite ill so no further nana has been made currently but it did leave off on a very sad and depressing note and that's a really good thing about broken rose as well it captures that sadness and desperation but also that angst that you get throughout the entirety of the show. I got three of the Nana sets sitting on my shelf. I should really review this for a future episode. Absolutely. I remember I bought it because of how acclaimed it was. I was going to make a joke about how Ayazawa really needs to get off her ass and finish it. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, given she... her condition, I don't think I should. It's People always joke about Hunter Hunter going on hiatus or Berserk going on hiatus, but... Oh, there have been a lot of manga that have been in that situation. Monster Musume, Black Lagoon is a big one, and I love Black Lagoon. I believe the 11th volume of the manga came out here only a few months ago. The last volume, volume 10, that was years ago. Because Ray Hirohe is apparently too busy playing Grand Theft Auto V. <laughs> I mean, that's much less of an excuse than Ayazawa's excuse. I, I met Ray Hiraway. He said that he's a Grand Theft Auto fan. That is something I did not expect, but I am okay with it. Shall we move on to your number four? Oh, uh, okay. Well, in this case, my favorite opening number for the 1980s. 1980s, yeah. Well, the thing is, is that even though the 80s is perhaps one of the best, if not the single best decade for anime in terms of content, I can't really think of a lot of anime openings that reached out and grabbed me. I have my favorites, sure, but I can't really say that there are many that I would place in my top 10 compared to stuff from the 70s, the 90s, the 2000s, and the 2010s. But there is one that I can say is my absolute favorite. Without question, without debate, that is the opening to Fist of the North Star. Yes! Oh, oh, okay, this is gonna be a treat. I haven't listened to this for a while. Holy fuck. <laughs> Just, there is nothing better than screaming along to you, Ashok. Just, holy damn. There's never yeah. been an anime opening so goddamn manly. There is just so much. Like, visually, it's not all that special. You, the the janky, cheap animation you see in the main show kind of sh- is showcased in the opening, but just, this is a case where the song itself way overpowers the opening. 
it's for the visuals so strong just oh my the god full it's... volume shout along level of you are shock <laughs> it's my go-to on karaoke night and as embarrassed as i am to say this when they hit that bridge i always go ah, yes. and when the song is over i'll always <laughs> point at my uh, constituents and say omae wa mo shindeiru nani <laughs> <laughs> gotta play uh, along you have I, to play I, along a fist of the north star is also one of those shows that has had multiple openings silent survivor is an okay one but i love the opening to fist of the north star to tough boy which is this really jamming 80s glam metal song called tough boy yeah it's, it's also an opening that just kicks you right in the balls <laughs> That's definitely one way to describe I it. I love openings like that that kick you in the balls. Like so, that. coincidentally, my number three actually has quite a heavy link to Fist of the North Star. And oh. this is one of the ones that I found it very difficult because this show has had so many openings. And I chose to go with Great Days, which is the opening, the third opening for season four of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Now, there were so many I could have gone with here. I could have gone for the traditional Stand Proud. But, you know, I could have gone for any of the major JoJo openings. But Great Days is the one that really sticks with me. pretty good um i've got several other jojo's openings i just put on bloody stream and uh the yeah. first opening yep so the very ab original jojo opening is quite iconic but the one i had to choose between most difficultly was great days being the one that i chose and stand proud being the first opening for part three part three is like my favorite part of jojo by far it's everybody's favorite it's the best part of, well, until part six eventually comes out and then I will be very happy. I chose Great Days because of the rewind section at the end, uh, where it goes through the same song again, but entirely in rewind, essentially. And not only showcasing one of the main villain's powers, but also, you know, this brilliant idea of both sound and sound effect design. So one of the things that Jojo does is once one episode per season or season block, so per opening, essentially, they do what's called a sound effect version of the opening, um, where all of the stand powers actually, ha when you see them happening during the song, have this interruption of the sound effects. And that's so iconic. And it's something that I believe Jojo is the only anime to do. And the Great Days sound effect version, going extra way to do the rewind entirely, was so extra and so brilliant and so iconically Jojo. This does remind me that I have to catch up on Jojo. Unfortunately, I haven't gotten around to uh, the meat of the series. It's one of those cases where I started, stopped, because I had other things that I had to watch. I've been working through my physical backlog. I'm only yeah. now getting to season three of Attack on Titan. Da -da 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 average anime. <laughs> it's better than than its <laughs> reputation suggests. It's not something like I have opinions. I it's have not opinions. Sword Art Online or Black sure. Clover. Sure. 
I could name you other so-called entry-level anime that don't hold up to repeated viewing. That's fair. I, I pick on Attack on Titan a little, because a few of my friends really love it, so it's, you know, fun to tease them a little. But Hey, and don't knock the Attack on Titan openings. Without them, we wouldn't have the amazing covers done by Epica. That's very true. That is very true. Have you heard those? I have, yeah. My They're great. The aforementioned friends who are big fans of Attack on Titan have shown me the Epica covers, and they are brilliant. I forgot to list my honorable mentions from the 80s. I'm going to go with Lumno Love Song from Urusei Yatsura, Pegasus Fantasy from Saint Seiya, yep. and it's not an opening in the traditional sense, but it does help open the OAV. I'm going to go with Mad Machine from Bubblegum Crisis. That sounds interesting, and that's another one that I've not heard of. It needs to go onto the ever-growing list. Uh, but... You'd like Bubblegum Crisis if you like cyberpunk. I do and... love my cyberpunk, so I'm going to have to give with... that a look at and girls in power armor kicking ass and blowing shit up. Okay, yeah, you're, you're really selling me on this, Nate. You're really selling me. <laughs> Alrighty. So anyway, let's talk about the 90s. The 90s are my favorite decade for anime openings. Not necessarily for anime, even though a lot of great stuff did come out, and it was a pivotal decade for anime in the West. But in terms of openings from the 90s, I just love the overall 90s sound. A great mix of hard rock, Euro dance leftovers from city pop it did Plus have such a... an eclectic mix of openings in the 90s it's like going to a buffet where like a really high-end buffet there's a lot of food that looks really good and it probably tastes good too i have a lot that i could pick from obviously but i'm gonna continue on with the theme of anime openings that kick you right in the balls i'm gonna go with reason from Tekaman blade Oh, I've not heard this before, so this is going to be new for me. Eh? Doesn't that get you pumped up and want to see more? Holy damn, that was so powerful. That's the sort of opening that makes me go, okay, I need to watch as much of this as possible now. It's got this just, like you've, like you've described, that sort of kick to the nads. The, it's just this super powerful just, I am going to scream at you and show you all of these awesome mechs kicking ass. You're going to want to watch this. Technically, it's not mecha, it's power armor. Or even cooler this was actually a part of the tatsunoko remake family of the 1990s because tatsunoko put out oavs or updated series of some of their classics you had the kashan oav the gotcha man oav uh i believe hurricane polymar got one too but i think the most well-known or at least well-remembered is tekaman blade i've listened to the full song multiple times it's a go-to whenever i'm out jogging because it just kicks so much ass and what you don't hear in the TV version, it has an acoustic guitar lead in. It's so good. Just this do 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 And then you hear this big <laughs> It's just got such a raw energy to it. it. As with your previous choice, it's got this just... It's just so goddamn manly. It's an opening that commands your attention. 
Yeah. Like once you hear that opening drum beat, that you immediately turn your attention to the screen and you don't want to look away. I feel like a lot of, especially more modern animes, have very passive openings. Um, I... Especially some of the ones that I've I've put on my list. I mean, Perfect Area Complete, as much as it's quite high energy, is quite passive. You know, it's something that you mm. could have on in the background and just be like, oh yeah, this is a thing. Whereas this, you know, the one from Man is just so damn just look the fuck over here right the fuck now you're watching this sit your ass down <laughs> um honorable mentions for me i am gonna go with infinity from lost universe because you can't go wrong with megumi hayashibara i am gonna go with boku de aru tameni simply because i listened to that song on loop throughout all of katsukan last year and the last one i'm gonna go with it would be controversial to leave this one off, but I feel Tank from Cowboy Bebop is a little overplayed. But one I will say is a very honorable mention is Duvet, the opening from Serial Experiments Lane. I feel like Cowboy Bebop is fine being an honorable mention, but it can't be ignored. And uh, I, I feel like yeah. um, the number one on my list might leave you kicking yourself. Well, uh, that's your 1990s one, so we move across to my number two, because we're doing this in a weird way. Yeah. So, s second favourite opening of all time. It started a meme in the UK cosplay community for this series, because I can't call it just a show. Again, it slots into that sort of thing of multiple openings for shows, this one being my personal favourite, and it really showcases the musical notes and the musical sort of um, cues of the entire series as a whole. And that's Key Plus Words, which is the second opening to the Persona 4 anime. So I'm a huge, huge Persona nerd, and this is not the last you've heard of Persona from my list. <laughs> It's such a brilliant sing-along. One of my favorite things about Shoji Meguro as a composer is that he quite often will go for English lyrics as a primary over Japanese lyrics, meaning that us, you know, non-Japanese speakers get an easier time getting to sing along with it. You know, some of the most iconic songs from the Persona series as a whole being things like Reach Out to the Truth, Life Will Change from the more modern Persona 5, and of course, mm -hmm. Mass Destruction, which starts with the wonderful baby, 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 <laughs> baby. Nothing quite matches that sort of strength when it comes to anime openings of key plus words. Well, the first off, the opening riffs that da-da, it instantly made me think, not of another anime opening, but for a tokusatsu opening. Because mm. it's the same riff as the opening for Kamen Rider Fies. Obviously, yeah. the songs think they, go two different I think they directions. took cues from Kamen Rider when making the Persona 4 anime. I do like the visuals for that one, though, with the glasses and everything. And every time I saw them adjust their glasses, I half expected Roger Daltrey to come out and go, Yeah! And so that was the meme that actually started in our community as well, in the Persona UK cosplay community, when we ended up working for Atlas for a while as well, working with Atlas. Um, the, the joke 
was that whenever we were cosplaying from Persona 4, so for example, in my case, I cosplayed um, the wonderful villain Adachi, um, we'd all put on our glasses and go, da 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 da. <laughs> Bitches and whores. But there would just be that one moment where we'd be stood around in a crowd waiting for something to happen or waiting for the photo shoot or waiting for something to happen. And just one of us would just da 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 And one by one, the rest of us would slowly do it. And I I just love it for that. It's It's got a real place in my heart. But also, like we mentioned, it's got that real oomph to it it's it going off of what you, um we had with Techaman just now it's really one that demands your attention i guess we should move on to my favorite from the 2000s and for this one i'm going really really obscure for a show that nobody watched and like the 70s this was one that was done by tokyo movie shincha this is the opening for requiem from the darkness the song is called the flame by keiko lee That was definitely not expected. That was so different to everything else we've had on this list so far. Like mentioned previously about the difference between sort of an active and a passive um, opening song, this really is passive, but not in a way that means that you can just sort of go, oh, I've had one listen of this. I can ignore this now. It's very much passive in a way of like chill and calming and sort of very mysterious it as i haven't watched this anime like it definitely gives me some ideas of what to expect going forwards of this sort of tale of mystery and intrigue all wrapped up in this sort of slight sort of dark and edgy outer rim i i really love it the art direction as well was absolutely fantastic <clears throat> i love the uh, use of cgi in the open with the cameras zooming through the cgi town yeah really really well done it's a beautiful opening it's haunting yet it's very calming keiko lee is a jazz singer so she has that unique quality to her voice it's a very masculine sounding voice for a female singer yeah but i i quite like that you you get that quite often as well especially with jazz um singing so for um, a perfect example, I, I really love the singing style of Ella Fitzgerald, and she's got a much lower vocal range. Okay, so my my number one, my favorite anime opening of all time, not just my favorite anime opening of all time, the, in my opinion, the best anime opening of all time ever. And I can't believe you didn't mention it earlier. I'm talking about Cruel Angel's Thesis. Of course. We don't need to sample this one because no, I think everyone you, has heard. you've heard it. Every, everybody knows Cruel Angel's thesis. Sayu, See, the thing with Goku no Tenshi no Yoroni Shonen no Everybody knows that song. And even if you. I remember I went to a college convention back when I was at Sacred Heart University on the Quinnipiac campus, and they had anime name that tune. And they had three people on the stage. They played Cruel Angel's Thesis, and none of them got it. 
then those people are not anime fans. <laughs> I even yelled at them saying, if you don't get this, I'm gonna scream. This is actually my town tune on Animal Crossing now as well, because it's just those beats that just it's just so iconic. It is anime to me. And that's why it's my number one anime opening. Yeah, I don't think there's anything you can say about it that really needs to be said. Exactly. It's just so iconic on its own. However, let's get to your 2010s entry. For my 2000s anime opening, for my honorable mentions, I am going to go with Rise from Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex Second Gig, Inner Light from Hajime no Ippo, and another one from a show that nobody has ever heard of, and my pick for the most beautiful anime opening ever made, Ano Sorao Ike from Titania. Okay. It is a show that nobody really watched, or liked for that matter. So more of a controversial entry. Well, people will all agree that the song is beautiful, even if the show itself is just kind of meh. Which is disappointing, given just who directed it, who wrote it, and its relation to Legend of the Galactic Heroes. But if I had to pick an opening from the 2010s, and I feel the problem with a lot of anime openings in the 2010s is that even though there's a lot of really good stuff in there, I feel that a lot of the songs just sort of blend together. But if I had to pick a favorite from the 2010s, this is actually going to be my hardest. I started off groovy, and I'm going to end groovy. And honestly, my favorite opening from the 2010s could be anything. But I say just for the sake of it, I'm going to go with Viva Namida from Space Dandy. Oh, what a choice! was originally going to go with Flyers from Death Parade, but I don't want to spoil... To me, the opening in and of itself is a spoiler. Oh, wow. Okay. I absolutely love the opening for Space Dandy. It didn't take off like it should have in the West for reasons yeah. that I think I'll discuss if I eventually do a podcast about Space Dandy. Because my next episode is going to be Tiger and Bunny. And I'm mm. going to talk about, you know how this show was hyped up to as being sort of the next big thing here in the West. And for a hot minute, it was, and then it wasn't. Yeah, Tiger and Bunny sort of was a flash in the pan, and I feel like Space Dandy deserved a bit more time in the sun yeah. as well. Like, Well, in the West, Tiger and Bunny was a flash in the pan. In Japan, they love Tiger and Bunny, and exactly. it's getting another season. I feel like the same can be said for quite a few, and sometimes it's cultural differences, like an anime that we'll be bringing up later on. Uh, in fact, no, I think I took it off here. Um, so an anime that uh, almost made my cut being um, Idolmaster. One of the Idolmaster um, openings was on my list of ones I, to possibly consider. Idolmaster doesn't I... hit in the West because of the lack of idol culture, but Space Dandy, by, Space Dandy and tiger and bunny by all sense and purposes should have kicked off in the west it really should have 
with Tiger and Bunny, I feel it was a matter of the show's content, which I'll talk about in the review. With Space Dandy, I think it had unfair expectations placed on it, because it's a sci-fi show by Shinichiro Watanabe, and everybody's like, oh, it's going to be another Cowboy Bebop, and then it wasn't like Cowboy Bebop, and people start stopped caring about it, which kind of sucks. It did suck, and, and again, that opening, and I mentioned whilst I was watching it, I forgot how good the dance was. I forgot oh, how yeah. brilliantly iconic psychic, and ridiculous it, it, the it dance sort of, was. It sort of circles back around to that Lupin opening that was my favorite from the 70s. Exactly, yeah. Because it's got that psychedelic imagery. You've got the groovy dance as well. Yeah. It's great music for anything, for driving, for working out, for dancing. I need to learn that dance. I need to learn the space dance. <laughs> dance. Well, can you dance at like one frame per second or something? Sure. Because I don't think you could p- potentially do that dance, like logically. You no. have to learn each step of the step-by-step progression. Um, honorable mentions. I was going to go with Flyers from Death Parade, but I didn't want to spoil you on that one. Yeah, which is fair. I do want you on for the Death Parade episode, because that is my favorite TV anime. I am saving myself from watching it so that I can watch it for that episode. Even though this is kind of a cliche one, I'm going to go with Shinzo Sasageo from Attack on Titan Season 2. I know everybody loves uh, Guren no Yumiya, but to me, Shinzo Sasageo just puts it right over the top. And my last honorable mention is going to be the most recent opening for the show. That is Easy Breezy from Keep Your Hands Off Azoken. So that's that's openings covered. Shall we move on to the the other end of the animes? All right, so let's go to endings. And I have five of my favorites, but I'm not going in chronological order for this one. I'm just gonna okay. choose them at random. So interesting. I'm gonna stick with my number five, number four, all the way up to my number one. See, uh, the thing is, the reason why I have a top five, I can't, I don't like doing top fives because it constantly changes. I'm like, oh, do I like yeah. this one more than the other? No, and so I. I I'll agree with you there that my top five changes, but this, for the purposes of this podcast, I have chosen an, a snippet of my current uh, viewpoint. Um, which means that we start with um, my number five, which is going to be an absolutely extremely powerful track um, in Magia, which is the ending, uh, the second ending to Mahashojo Madoka Magica. And holy motherfucking shit the power in this ending it feels like a boss battle music have a listen oh i know that one i know that one love an anime ending that decides to rock out because usually an anime ending is sort of meant to book end the show but when you have one that says nah i don't want to let you down i want to kick you in the dick again and it's that perfect again it suits the show so much because it's got that beauty of the sort of violin and string piece um in the background of this sort of powerful sort of metal rock number which again sort of 
shows that same juxtaposition you get in the show of the sort of beauty of these magical girls, but the darkness and twistedness of the actual plot of the show. <laughs> Madoka Magica has a really beautiful yin-yang to it, and I think Magia definitely suits that. It really just showcases Yuki Kaijura's strength as a composer. A lot of people Agreed. have criticized her of her music sort of blending together, but she is able to give each soundtrack a unique feel. I feel that's sort of the case with Magia, because Califina is her group, if I am not mistaken. Believe so, yes. It's funny, Yuki Kaijura did the soundtrack to two quote-unquote dark magical girl shows that I both really, really like. The first being Madoka Magica, but the older one is one I don't think you've heard of. It's Maihime. I haven't, no. I'm definitely going to have to give that a look if it's anything similar to Madoka. It's similar to Madoka, but not really. It's more like a girls fighting show, but nobody gets their clothes ripped off. <laughs> okay, so something that I will probably enjoy. My first favorite ending of the five that I have chosen is actually one from a movie. I've got a movie one on here as well, so this is going to be interesting. It is the ending to Mobile Suit Gundam Char's Counterattack Beyond the Time. There are two honorable mentions I want to give for my favorite anime movie ending theme. Uh, I've got to go with the, the ending theme to the Galaxy Express 3-9 movie because of how damn catchy it is. And an Angel's Paints from Macross Plus. But I have to give the nod to Beyond the Time simply because Char's Counterattack was meant to be the finale to Mobile Suit Gundam. It does have a very final feeling to it as well. I just love the lyrics to this one. You can change your destiny beyond the time. You can change your future beyond the darkness. We can share the happiness. It's sort of that somber moment where the battle between Neo Zeon and the Earth Federation may be over for now, but the war will continue. But for this brief moment, we have a glimmer of hope that hopefully we can have peace for the interim time even though it's only going to be a matter of days before Zeon plans their next attack. But for this moment, this one brief moment, we can send off the brave men and women who gave their lives to save the Earth Federation from a giant asteroid that was sent flying to Earth. Yeah, exactly. And it gives off that vibe as well. It really gives off this sort of somber and um, really sort of... Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? sensible it's a very sort of um respectful ending you get the idea that this is very much um in reflection i just love the bridge before the second chorus the beyond the time yeah absolutely 
that was the point the part that i got to as well sort of made me really go oh wow you know this mm-hmm. is you know this is really powerful and quite stirring as well let's hear your number four my number four uh we're going back um in fact at this point all of these will have been things that we've already touched on so um we're going back to nana now and we're going to the first ending as well of nana being starless night sung by olivia one of the most powerful parts about this for me is as mentioned before you know rarer the name actually came from the character rarer from nana and this song is supposed to have been sung by rarer hence its meaningfulness to me a pretty damn good one i really like the song not a fan of the visuals though yeah so it takes on a very different it definitely focuses on the sadness of nana rather than the angst of nana like you got in that opening Mm -hmm. um but again the end of every episode of nana leaves you on those sort of really sharp intakes of breath be it you know um what's a good example that doesn't spoil too much when just, just, just say that it, it, it's yeah. more powerful than you watch it with context. Yeah, so that when that ending kicks in, it's almost a comfort blanket at the end of a... Yeah, you've just had something dumped on you that you're going to need like a week to process. Right. Nana has a habit of pulling the rug out from under you and going, Oh, by the way, you know that thing that we've build, been building up a whole episode? Actually, it's this. Well, I guess I should move on to my fourth opening. And even though... I am going to be a basic bastard because even if the show doesn't hold up after all these years, I cannot talk about my favorite anime endings unless I talk about the one that brought me to the dance, and that is the first ending to Inuyasha, My Will by Dream. I'm not the biggest fan of Inuyasha as a whole, but that ending was real good. Yeah, like when I first saw that as a kid, because I would set my VHS tape to record Inuyasha because it aired at this impossible hour here in the United States. And I first heard that song, I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't just some random instrumental opening they're singing in some foreign language. That's Japanese. And I like this (laughs) melody because... I am a huge mark for Eurodance, and it's it sounds like the like this is just stupendous commentary here, but I, it feels like the beat was added in afterwards because it's this sort of wonderful, beautiful sort of like traditional Japanese singing. I love the, this like weird Euro beat behind it. I'm not. I know I'm gonna get this term wrong, but I like that little uh, snare they use at the beginning. That little 
the, the no, I think roll. you. I think you're correct with it being a snare. Yeah, I like that snare they use at the beginning. It's it just adds a little extra punch to it. But I also like the visuals as well with the the three girls from Inuyasha: Kagome, Sango, and Kikyo. Even though Sango doesn't show up until like ah, it's been a while since I've seen Inuyasha, but like twenty episodes in. Again, I love anime with unique visuals. I especially like the shot of the Ferris wheel that looks like it was filmed at Bayonne, New Jersey. It does it does give off a very American vibe, some of the locations. Yeah, it it looks like Bayonne. Like they shot it in Bayonne. I could Photoshop a Ferris wheel. I could Photoshop the Ferris wheel from that's outside of uh, the hotel they have Katsukan at and stick it in Bayonne and you wouldn't know the difference. Thinking, I think we just need to steal that Ferris wheel and put it in Bayonne. <laughs> yeah, no, good luck with that. I do like the opening, those flowers. I don't know what the name of those sorts of flowers are, but I know, I believe they're in the ending to Demon Slayer, which I haven't seen. Nor have I seen the openings and endings to, but I know people will also know those flowers from Demon Slayer. It might mean that they have some form of uh, cultural significance as well. So, it might be interesting to do some research into that. Yeah, someone will have to answer that. Moving on to your number three... So, we're back to JoJo. This was very difficult to choose from. Oh, dear. And I know that everyone will be expecting me to go, and I've chosen Roundabout because it's so iconic. You know, but I didn't go for Roundabout. I went for season three because um, uh, Stardust Crusaders is the best part of JoJo. But I actually went for one of their using a real song as the ending parts. Last Train Home by Pat Mathis. It's very peaceful. Bearing in mind that this comes after some of the most powerful and sort of like disturbing and like stirring parts of the anime. This wonderfully calm and peaceful ending is so, so unique. Indeed. It, I like the visuals, too, because as I said, I anime endings where there's movement and we're not just panning across a still image. But in this case, they're using a lot of tricks to move across. It reminds me, have you ever seen the music video for Apple by Royksop? Yeah, I have. I um, got vibes from that. It definitely gives that vibe, yeah. It gives that very sort of heavily artistic, very sort of reflective vibe. Speaking of reflection, I guess I should give you my next one. I tend not to cry when I'm listening to anime endings or anything like that. We've listened to one triumphant. We've listened to one that's nostalgic. This is an anime ending that never fails to break me. And it's not from a show you would expect. This is the ending song to Gaugaigar. Specifically, Gaugaigar Final, the character version. Okay. The song is used throughout the show, but this version right here is used at the end of the first series, and it is also used in the final episode of Final. I've not heard of Gal Geiger before.
I see what you mean about this. This is really, really interesting. They've done something really nicely unique with the fact that they're actually, you know, each little part is sung by a different character. Mm. Although it did really detract me when the tiny girl voice sung at the uh, second verse. The Gal Gygar ending originally by itself is fine. Because Gal Gygar is such a hot-blooded, crazy, and over-the-top show meant for children, and the opening reflects this with its repeated yellings of Ga 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 Gal Gygar. But the ending is very calming. It's very tranquil. But the character ver- version is what makes my list because, whereas the main opening is sort of like this nice little lullaby that's sort of meant to be played for our main character, who's a kid named Mamoru. The character version sounds like it's the main cast saying goodbye. Yeah. It is really quite stirringly sad, but at the same time, kind of happy. I'm sorry. I'm just having a breakdown talking about it. No, that's absolutely fine. That's more than understandable. Because... Maybe if you don't know the context, it'll mean nothing to you. But if you've seen Gal Gygar Final and you know how it ends, it just punches you right in the stomach. Yeah, my uh, my number one has some uh, vibes from that as well. Oh, well. But I've got to get through my number two yet. <laughs> my favorite part of that, though, and I think the one that really hits me, it's when Nobuyuki Hiyama comes on. Because all the singers for that ending are female, but then Nobuyuki Hiyama comes on. Yeah. And his he's like voices. five octaves lower than everybody else. Yeah. I, I love the fact as well that he actually can he can hold his notes, but he still sounds somewhat hesitant. I don't know if that just came off differently, <laughs> but... Uh, Nobuyuki Hiyama, you are a legend. Okay. And if you played Zelda, you were a big part of our childhoods. Really? Yeah, he was the voice Who, of uh, he... Adult Link in Ocarina of Time. Holy damn! Okay, I, I, I love this guy a lot mm-hmm. now. Okay, so talking about legends of anime and music together, have you ever heard of a wonderful man named Lotus Juice? Oh, yes. So my last two are actually from the same series, but we're going to go with the ending for the Persona 4 anime first, being Beauty of Destiny. Now, this is visually very pleasing, visually very pretty, captures the sort of Persona style of music, especially Persona 4's uh, audio cues quite well, but... It's a Lotus Juice rap, and I couldn't keep my boy Lotus Juice out of this. And when Shoji Magura and Lotus Juice work together, you get beauty like this. My, my favorite thing of that is Lotus Juice has a habit of saying some very interesting things in English that you'd have to wonder if I he understands what they do it my way. <laughs> it's okay to remove copy and paste. Uh, what? That's one of the lyrics in Beauty of Destiny. It's always funny hearing non-English bands trying to make English lyrics that sound deep and meaningful. The best example of this is the entirety of the opening rap for Persona 3 FES. Oh yeah, I love that opening! 
it's a beautiful opening, but it has some of the most interesting and I'm the ace of England. So you're Hiroshi, and I'm, and I'm and the I'm... ace. Uh, thank you for clarifying that, Hiroshi Tanahashi. But yeah, Lotus Lotus Juice is just so iconic to anime and music for me that I had to include him, even if he didn't make the number one mm-hmm. slot. Although, as I have seen sneakily mentioned, um, my number one slot is from a Persona, and I did mention that I have a film in there, but you'll have to win and All see. Right. Well, my next favorite ending is one that's fairly recent, actually, and as I've made my five favorite endings, I've sort of gone down different routes as to feelings. We've had triumphant, nostalgic, tragic, or not tragic, tragic's not the wrong word, but sentimental. Now we have one that's just yeah. plain catchy. This is the first ending to Carol and Tuesday, Hold Me Now. good i i really love the sort of musical direction for that and the sort of um sound the sort of sound exploration of it it did sound like there's parts that i loved and there's parts that i didn't so i really love the singing i think the singing is absolutely wonderful it gave me real vibes of casey lee williams who does a lot of the female singing for the series ruby um which i didn't include any it's not anime because i don't think you you don't it's western made so it doesn't (laughs) count (laughs) I do hope to go um, through Ruby on a side series I'm working on. Would happily hope go through with you. Also, Genlock, because Genlock is fucking amazing. It's, it has to be better than, um, well, you know. The only bit that I didn't like is that the piano sounds like one of those pre-cued tracks you get on a cheap <laughs> Casio. It, oh, do you, oh, don't knock Together Forever by Rick Astley. <laughs> <laughs> It does. It just sounds a bit like we've got this really amazing singer. We've spent so much money on this really amazing singing voice. What have we got left in the budget? <laughs> we don't. All right. I think I've got an old Casio out in my garage somewhere. Mm. Don't knock my girl, Carol. She practices every day on that piano. By pressing the place uh... on the button. See, my favorite part of that, you mentioned it, is the singing. I do like that little harmony. The structure for the song is rather peculiar because you have chorus, verse, chorus... It's not mm. your typically structured pop song, but I love that little harmony, that little pick me up to dance and pick me up again. I, I could listen to that for hours and hours on end. It's like the opening notes to My Soul, Your Beats from Angel Beats. As I like to say, those yeah. are whole notes. Really, mm. really good. Pretty, I also really like the pretty. artistic direction as well because it's Carol and Tu. It's basically just Carol and Tuesday walking and then coming together. But as yeah. uh, Tuesday's walking along, random letters start coming out in front of her. And with Carol, it's musical notes, basically denoting that it's Carol that writes the music and it's Tuesday that writes the lyrics. Yeah. So it's simple direction, but I really like it. So take it away with your favorite ending. So uh, we're going back to Persona. 
and we're going to the Persona 3 movies. Now, there were four movies, um, the fourth of which ties up the end of the Persona 3 storyline. And at the end of the Persona 3 game, they have the same song as well. And that's Kimi no Kyoku. Oh, yes. It makes me cry every single you, time. You don't, you don't need to say anything else. I've listened to that song. It's very reflective. Even if you don't know anything about Persona, you can immediately tell what emotion they're going for. It's really cool. It's so final as well. And the part of it that made me cry so much is when you get to that um, really, really... So there's that part that you just want to sing along and cry at the same time with, which is the, isn't that day, isn't that day, isn't that day? And it's it's so heartbreaking because it's such a almost happy sounding song. Um, but at the same time, after such a sad, sad ending. And I don't know that much Japanese, but I feel myself singing along to it every the single time themselves because i've looked up the lyrics it very much is fitting within the theme of persona 3 and persona 3 being probably my favorite game of all time you know it, it just all tied together and it was it's so beautiful and i i genuinely genuinely love it and i couldn't pick anything other for my favorite ending mm-hmm. theme well my favorite and again this is gonna be awkward because the visuals for this are not for the faint of heart, but it goes with the tone of the show. So we've had catchy, sentimental, nostalgic, and triumphant. Now we return to my favorite type of anime song, the ones that give you a good kick in the balls. <laughs> and I am going with my personal favorite anime ending Maybe of all time in terms of ones that just absolutely bookend a show with a exclamation point. It's Cause Disarray from Rin, Daughters of Nemesine. Fuck! Yeah, no! Holy, holy fuck! I, that was really damn powerful. Mm-hmm. I see what you mean about the visual cues. I see what you mean about the sort of, you know, warning me about well, some well, of the, the imagery. the thing is, there. is that unlike some other anime that try to shock you, this one actually fits within the tone of the show, because Rin Daughters of Nima Scene, while not hentai, is very smutty. There's lots of sex, there's some bondage in there too. I kind Some of guess body horror as well because our main character is immortal. Yeah, I I was wondering where a lot of some of the sort of visual cues came from, but again, damn, that's all I can say. It's just it really takes your breath away. It's that an opening. ending. That <laughs> ending. I meant ending. When I was watching that, I I'd seen some anime that rocked out, but none really hit me that hard. And it wasn't the visuals that mm. got me; it was the song. Yeah, no, I can definitely take that from there as well. Like, I definitely see what you mean. It just, it, it does just kick you right in the, right you know, in the dick, right in the dick. Um, it's, 
it's just got this really the imagery at first seems sad and then it builds up this sort of no this this person is an extreme badass and what you're seeing that was sad is actually just holding them back Mm -hmm. i feel the reason for that barbed wire bondage is mostly to showcase rin being immortal having lost so much in her life she cannot die she cannot be killed god knows what her body has seen because she gets tortured in some pretty gruesome ways in that show so it's very much sort of a gore horror as it were yeah yeah but it's it's a good show in spite of it i I was gonna say it definitely intrigues me to watch further like that's made me want to go and seek out more it it really does have a good strength to it um i don't know if you'd like it or not I can definitely give it a it's go. It's only seven episodes, but all the episodes are double length. Okay, interesting. And the funny thing is that this was not an OAV. I believe this was shown on a satellite channel. But yeah, there we go. That is that mm-hmm. is endings. Speaking of endings, I think that's pretty much all of our uh, all of our things done. I isn't believe it? that's it. Yeah, I think given how long we went, this might be its own little uh, bonus show. I think that's going to do it for this uh, podcast. So uh, until then, I'm Otaku Nate. And I am Rara. Peace out and Sig Zeon. Congratulations. 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 Congratulations.